Spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Tits, tatas, hooters, melons, honkers, boobs, the girls, love monkeys. Thanks so much for that one, Urban Dictionary. We have countless words for breasts in a culture where they are both stigmatized and sexualized and, in some cases, celebrated. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we're going to celebrate breasts by honoring the poignant journey of Tiffany Bailey, a gifted jazz, blues, and cabaret-style singer who is also a behavior therapist we can learn a lot from. We're going to talk not only about body image and breast health, but about facing and learning to thrive in challenging times. Thank you so much for being here, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing really great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be able to talk with you today because I think your perspective and what you're going through is so interesting and I think you're so brave. I would love to start by talking about your own boobs, your breasts. <laughs> and, you know, we all women, we have, I think, a complex relationship with our boobs. I don't know many people who are just like, got them, woohoo, great. I don't think about them. Like, we pretty much all have a history. And yeah. I know that yours hasn't always been an easy one. No, it's true. It's how true. did how did it start out for you? How did you feel about your your breast growing up? Well, I didn't have any um, really for a long time. I uh, w- I developed very uh, I guess later in life than most. So when I was in school, a lot of girls um, had developed, and I didn't have anything at all. So. I was always like, when am I going to get boobs? And uh, there was this girl uh, in my high school, even, who had given me this book that was called Little Boobs Is. And I thought, wow, cool. Thanks. I guess that's celebrating. (laughs) But, you know, I was very insecure about it. And then, um, funny enough, actually, my mom went to a psychic. And I don't know why in the world it came up, but I was listening to a cassette tape and she had said, your daughter is going to have these big breasts. And we laughed because we were like, right, okay. Um, and then uh, around like seven, 18, 17, 18, all of a sudden, I went from like an AB cup to a triple D. Whoa. So, I mean, I mean, it felt overnight. Um, I, I don't know how that possibly could have happened. But yeah, it was a big whoa. Um, so it was like all of a sudden, yeah, I just had, they were gigantic and, uh, I didn't even know really what to do. Uh, it was kind of, it was such an extreme. It was like, I didn't really have anything. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, immense. So, uh, I guess it was, it was interesting because all of a sudden I started getting a lot of attention, big shocker. Uh, and what it kind was of an, attention. Well, it was an attention that I had not been used to. Um, I was never 
the pretty girl. I was never the, you know, uh, high school cheerleader. It was just I was kind of the girl who's funny and cute and, um, you know, hung out in gothic, gothy kinds of crowds. Um, so it was very interesting. Boys were interested in me. Uh, I started gaining a lot of, I guess, sexualized attention. People were paying a lot of attention to uh, what my breasts were doing <laughs> other than um, what I was doing. And I felt okay about that because I liked, in a way, having the attention taken off of me as a person because I got a little sick of um, being the cute, funny girl who, um, you know, people just, I don't know, just, I mean, liked having around. I, I had a really good personality, but it was nice to find something different. It was sure. nice to feel different. So you didn't feel quote unquote slut shamed. No, I mean, and, and if I, and if I was, I seemed to really dig it. So. You know, that's so interesting <laughs> because I remember when I first moved from Minnesota to New York, which was mm -hmm. right after high school mm -hmm. and I first got catcalled. I was like, hey, I'm cool. <laughs> right? I mean, it took a while before I, first of all, realized, well, started to be bothered by it, but then mm -hmm. also started to realize, you know, the complexities of that and mm -hmm. that that it, it's not a positive thing. Right. But when you've never had any sort of attention in that way. Yeah. Especially in a culture that says, you know, if you're sexy, you're awesome. If right. you're sexy in the way that we want you to be sexy, yeah. you know, then you're valuable. So it's hard yeah. not to internalize those, especially when we're so young. Absolutely. Um, and to and to add on top of that is, you know, I always sang. My dad was, you know, is a jazz trumpet player. So, um, you know, I was always in uh, dancing music, singing groups. And it was really difficult because there's already, even when you're a child growing up, you know, are you the pretty girl? Are you going to be able to fit into this um, sort of ideal? And I never did. So I always felt that um, that was something wrong with me. And that was a part of why I couldn't mm. have what I wanted to have. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you at some point decided to actually have a reductive surgery. Yes. So obviously something changed along the way. What, what happened that that led you to that decision? You know, I felt that I was, I um, had been with a lot of boys um, and dated and, you know, enjoyed all of the attention of that. And I felt, I guess, in some ways that this was something that I could do, maybe in a way that would gain me a different kind of attention, but it was still attention. It was still um, oh, hey, Tiffany is going to have a reduction. Oh, we should care about her. We should nurture her. We should, um, you know, pay attention to her in that way. So in a way, it's still like this little girl, take care of me, pay attention, um, nurture me, I think. Okay. Uh, so at least, you know, in hindsight, that's that's what I have, have started to think that it is. But at the time, you know, I just was sick of them. I was tired of um, wearing T-shirts and, you know, feeling like a porn star all the time. And they were heavy and they were uncomfortable. And, yeah, I just, I, I just think I got tired of that attention. So once you had the surgery, which I've heard is pretty extensive. Yeah. How did that impact your life? It was devastating. Really? Devastating. Um, yeah, I went into a horrible depression. Um, it was... Even though, I mean, they, you know, they took out about um, 500 cc's in each, uh, it, it just, it felt 
all of a sudden that like, I didn't know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to wear clothes. I didn't know how to identify myself. I felt like I was completely disproportionate. I, I mean, I just, I really lost my mind. And the guy that I had been dating, you know, was really into large breasts and we had broken up. And so I thought my world was over uh, and it was pretty, it was pretty bad. I mean, I, you know, really had even considered like flinging myself into traffic. Like I really was depressed. Wow. Um, so that was hard. But once, once I started working through it, once I started being able to exercise more, I started to be able to enjoy my life more. I, you know, really kind of came into it like maybe six months later. I was so happy. I was super stoked because it was like all of a sudden I had like, you know, these 18, I don't know, 20 year old boobs that I could potentially have for the rest of my life. So, wow. You know, so that was cool. The depression, did you, was it a matter of kind of self working through it over time or did you seek therapy or what helped you adjust? I didn't seek therapy at the time, but my um, I'm very close with my family. My mother was there for me and my friends were there for me. And, um, you know, people would come over and even just to do my dishes. It was so cool. Um, and there was just there was a lot of support around me. Thank and goodness. Uh, really, thank goodness. And and then, you know, it just sometimes something just has to click. You know, it's like the same way you snap something just sort of has to click and you realize it's not the end of the world. Like you, you made a choice. This is what you wanted to do. You know, make sure. the most of it. So it just, sure. yeah, it which just seems like a that's time. a muscle that you tend to work, <laughs> which we'll get into a little yeah. bit more. Uh, and actually, we're going to hear from Dr. Megan talking a little bit about you know, recognizing the temporary nature of the challenges, mm. which is so important. I think anyone, and I've actually heard that going through any kind of surgery raises your risk for some kind of depression or a yeah. lot of people, especially after like heart surgery. And yeah. I don't think that's very known. So for yeah. people to hear that that may happen mm -hmm. and that you can work through it and mm -hmm. you're going to be okay again, mm -hmm. that's a really valuable message. That's a really amazing point too, because that was not something that uh, had been mentioned to me at the time. So it was very jarring because I'm a very rose tinted looking person, you know, so I, I didn't even really know what to do with those feelings. So it would have been good to know. And yeah. it is good to know that you said that. Good, good. Yeah. That's an important lesson. So obviously breast cancer became an issue in your life. Could you tell us about how you came to realize that you had what's called the breast cancer gene. Yes. So my cousin Dana uh, is a medical doctor, and she is in Los Angeles, or in a, uh, I guess she's in Ventura. So she uh, had told me that it was really important for me to get tested for the gene. And this was already like three or four years ago. Um, but I was in school full time, and I just didn't feel that I had the coping mechanism at the time to be able to deal with the answer one way or the other. But something that she had mentioned to me was that we'd had um, such a family history of um, women having breast cancer and dying in their uh, early 50s and late 40s. And that, uh, you know, it was showing that people were getting younger and younger um, as time was going by. So, you know, that raised a lot of red flags. But at the time, I was like, yeah, 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 you know, um, I'll deal with it. So it was about two, three months ago. Uh, in February, I went and I got the test and it's a blood test, but they have to send away for it. So you don't get your results for two weeks. 
So I was just like, cool, all right, I'm just going to, you know, sort you of nervous. Put this to the, uh, I was at first, but I just, I kind of felt like I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm not going to sit and think about this because there's nothing I can do about it. So, um, so when I did get the call, which was, you know, even less than two weeks later, I, you know, my mom had said like, I know you don't have it. Don't worry about it. And um, I was really trying to stay realistic. So when she said, I'm so sorry, you know, you do have it. It was almost like my brain shut off and, but I was still kind of smiling. I was in my car. Uh, I pulled over to the side and she was talking, but it was like, you know, pe- like peanuts, like the um, teacher that's like, wah, 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 right, yeah. totally, totally. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I felt like I was listening, but when I got off the phone and I was about, and I was going to call somebody, I realized like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to tell them. Like, I don't exactly know what she told me. Wow. How- um, but it was, yeah, it was kind of scary. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you learned that yeah. and- had all these, I'm sure, questions and, and fears and whatnot. Yeah. What was the next step for you? Uh, the next step was, you know, I mean, I wanted to, I really wanted to contact my family. You know, I mean, I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to, you know, feel supported by them. But my parents are dealing with their own serious health issues. I mean, my mother has lung cancer and my father, you know, had a stroke after having um, a heart valve surgery. It just there was already so much going on. I thought, how am I going to tell them and how are they going to be able to deal with it? But I did tell my mom and my mom said, you know, I just want you to know that this makes me stronger because it gives me a purpose and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to stay healthy so that I can take care of you. That is so beautiful. I know. She's really, she's, she's amazing. Um, So the next step was, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to do preventative surgery? You know, what, what is the next plan of action? And, you know, I, I mean, I, I was so diligent. It was like, okay, go to the doctors, go find out what you need to know. I got very, very regimented and organized and, you know, clinical about it. Uh, and so I went to the first couple doctors. I had to go to the, um, the ovarian doctor too, because I'm going to have to have my ovaries taken out, um, as well, because it's, it, uh, the um, gene is put you at risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And we both, we have high risk in our family. So I met with that doctor and he was telling me about like, you know, my hormones and going into menopause. And I was like, uh, okay, can't deal with that right now. So then I went to the breast doctor and he seemed fine. Like I seemed to be able to deal with it. No problem. All good. And then Toward the end of the meeting when it became like, okay, when are we going to set this up and talking about like the risks and not having sensation and your nipples getting taken off and you can't save them. And, you know, we can't promise that, you know, they're going to look um, as good as they are now. And I, I mean, I just, I I was like, what I, I, I mean, I just cried. <laughs> I yeah. just, I was so overwhelmed. Um, but I did decide to have reconstructive surgery. Um, and I was, I was really excited about that because I thought, cool, you know, again, my mom's really positive. She's like, you're going to have the best hits. Like they're going to be up high and it's going to be fantastic. But, you know, you start seeing, um, plastic surgeons and they're so sad too. And I was like, oh my God. Sad and like, a, I feel sorry for you kind of way or yes. just, oh, and, wow. and we can't promise like an outcome that you're going to be happy with. You know, and that's probably Holy a liability crap. thing, right? Because yes. I have a friend who had implants and she told me that she went in. She's like, I want to be a C cup. 
And they were mm-hmm. like, we can't promise you a C cup. She's like, how can you not? Here's a C cup. Make it like this. <laughs> and they're like, totally. we can't promise you anything because I'm sure there are people who ask for one thing and right. if they don't get what they want and right. whatever. So right. they start with the, we can't do this. This might happen. Here's all the risks. Right. And that had to be overwhelming as well. Absolutely. Um, and I guess I was just looking for like some kind of like light, you know, I mean, because even I would say, okay, I get it. Thank you for telling me all the risks. But are there good points? Like, I mean, can you do a good job? I mean, like, will they look like boobs? I mean, it was like I just wanted a glimpse, a glimmer. And um, one doctor actually said to me, I don't envy you. I'm, you know, I'm so sorry you're in this situation. You may never really be um, happy with. uh, And I just was like, okay. I'm did nobody is there a say bedside to manner you? is there like yeah I mean, like, I mean like, when I the hell? when I first heard what you're going through and what yeah. you've decided to do all I thought was how brave and badass and Aww. you're saving your life I mean did anybody say to you like congratulations you're saving your life yes and I mean I'm gonna be really honest and candid you know everybody's different uh my relationship with the vanity aspect of my breasts is um, might be different than somebody else. And of course, I mean, I am so grateful to, and, and especially now, I mean, if you ask me now, I am so grateful to have a life that I'm going to be able to live fully and that I don't have to worry about, you know, only having, you know, eight years left or whatever it is. So huge. But at the time, I was like, whatever. Like, but I don't have it. So I don't have it. I don't know if I will ever have it, but probably I will. And I'm getting the surgery and I, it, it's all this uncertainty. It's yeah. Cause like, you'll I never just know. don't really know. Yeah. yeah that, that's so going to be hard a challenging to, thing. Yeah. It was hard to wrap my head around. Too bad that psychic wasn't around. Right? <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's so interesting. And because you've already too had a complex relationship with, with your breasts in different ways feeling yeah. they're too small or they're too big and yeah. this is a whole new level and I imagine what you've been through before with them will help and at the same time it might also there's always kind of I find old wounds when when, mm-hmm. when we are going through and and it's it's a blessing and a curse you know and yeah. and just trying to figure out you know what steps worked before and will they help me this time it sounds like you've really thought through so many things that that'll help you yeah i do feel that thank you so much for saying that i do feel that i have had some time and i've really had some good support and music has been hugely influential um in this process i mean i had no idea how much it would help me so uh it's it's totally been a blessing uh, Tell us more about that because I know you have a show coming up. Mm-hmm. Were you already performing prior to finding out that you had the gene? Yes, I had been. And I'd been working with Clifford Bell and he and I met um, back in August of last year. And it has been a whirlwind of wonderfulness. I mean, he has helped to book so many cool shows and so many great um, venues and places for me to gain experience. Um, and to feel confident. And I joke sometimes, you know, it's like his name is Clifford and I'm always like, you're always throwing me off a cliff. 
And, <laughs> but, you know, but I always feel safe in that, like, he's not just like, okay, see you later. I'll meet you at the bottom. He's he's, he's kind of with going you. with me. That's um, beautiful. And I it's, yeah. have to say thank you, Clifford, for yeah. introducing us Aww. because he did. And Clifford and I were neighbors here at the studio for a mm-hmm. while. We had our shows back to back. And he's mm-hmm. such a, an amazing person. And everyone listening, if you're interested in great cabaret, you know, check out his stuff. And he has a show recorded here as well called Cabarabia. So yes. definitely check him out. And thank you, Clifford. He's He's wonderful. And I'm so glad that music has been so therapeutic for you it mm-hmm. sounds like it's become more and more valuable yes do you feel like it helps you deal with the emotional stress that you've been facing a hundred percent and I didn't realize in what capacity it would you know people always say music heals and you do it through song but I didn't quite understand it and so now uh, I'm putting a show together that is going to be May 31st which is two days before I go in for surgery And, you know, it worked out really beautifully because it has given me this chance to express, um, you know, the celebration of what I'm going through and also some of the difficulties that I'm going through through music and finding, you know, what lyrics are going to work and what do I relate to. And it really stirs this emotional response that I can let go of things um, and be vulnerable in a way that maybe I couldn't be in my regular life um, without it. So... That's, That's how I found that that it works. And the performance is actually you're going to be talking about as well your yes. experience. And so it's more than just music. You're actually sharing your story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, you know, in a way that is, um, you know, meaningful but lighthearted. And in a way that is, um, hey, you know, not the most fun thing um, and definitely uh, an identity you know, influences my identity, but hell yeah, I get to make choices and look at all these things that are going to come to fruition. And holy crap, people may still like me, um, whether I have a mastectomy or not. Like, you know, all these um, things that go through your head. Am I interesting enough? Am I um, am I cool enough? Are people going to want to see me? Is this going to make a difference? And you just come to realize, like, I, I wouldn't care about that crap. Like in somebody I wouldn't else. Ca- yeah. Yeah. You know, isn't so, it amazing? We're so hard on ourselves. Whereas yeah. I, I do find that we judge other people's appearances a lot less, mm-hmm. th- the less we judge ourselves. Yeah. But even when I was in the depths of an eating disorder and my view of myself was completely distorted, mm-hmm. I still was never as cruel to other people mm-hmm. as to myself. And I think that's really common. So yeah. it's really good to be aware of that. And I think that perspective shift too, where you think, would I be saying or thinking these things about a friend? Totally. And probably, probably not. Mm-mm. No. So it's like, Kind of exactly what you're saying is being a friend to yourself in the same way that you would be to somebody else, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, we we talked a little bit before this interview about, you know, intimate relationships and how these kinds of surgeries Mm -hmm. and uh, decisions and obviously really affect all of our relationships, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, you're married, so you're going to be going through this together. And I loved that. Uh, normally I have somebody submit a question for Dr. Megan. She's our resident sex and relationship mm-hmm. therapist um, at greatlifegreatsex.com. And so I just passed it along to her and said, hey, you know, Tiffany is going through this. And what would you have to say to her? And here's her advice. 
August, um, I really love Tiffany's vulnerability and openness to discussing um, sort of these life-changing medical decisions that she's facing and to recognize um, that there are many, many women in this position, that there's a greater heightened awareness of BCRA, some called BRCA genes, uh, one and two, and that if you have that in your history, uh, BRCA1 in particular gives a woman an 89% increased risk of breast cancer. And depending on studies, a 23 to 50% increased risk in ovarian cancer. And so we've actually seen in the media more recently two high uh, profile A-list celebrities, Angeline Angelina Jolie and Christina Applegate, who also have had this gene, go f- for both the double mastectomy. Um, and Angelina Jolie also has gone and had ultimately the hysterectomy and ovaries removed. And I can only say that as a woman, especially thinking about Tiffany at 42, um, it's a hugely, profoundly, uh, life-changing decision. And at the same time, when you've gone through and experienced the loss of close relatives, you know, in her case, uh, on her father's side, uh, a number of relatives, you know, in their early 50s, and in Angelina's case, her mother, um, to recognize that, you know, when you're looking at those percentages, it is, um, it is a quality of life, um, and, uh, and a life decision. And that as hard as I think it can be for a woman in, in terms of body image and a sense of herself as, um, feminine and sexual to imagine losing your breasts, ultimately it's to recognize that this is a decision that will then keep you sort of safe from really high probability of cancers that kill. And so, um, you know, in terms of what to say in those conversations with your husband, I think it's just to be emotionally raw. Like this is not an easy decision. And I think importantly, any woman who, um, has a family history of BRCA one or two really needs to get accurate medical information, uh, potentially consult with multiple doctors, because the most important thing to learn is all the options open to you and, and to make a, a choice that ultimately, what is the right decision for you personally? Um, and I really commend that uh, Tiffany, just like Angelina, makes a decision to do the double mastectomy first, because, you know, I think that, first of all, that's a higher risk for cancer, but also, you know, fortunately, there is the opportunity for immediate reconstruction, um, but that, you know, it, it is a psychological adjustment, um, you know, breast caressing sensation, the importance that of that in sensuality or sexuality really de- varies, in my opinion, depending on the woman. Um, and so, you know, there are many reasons why, uh, you know, a radical and double mastectomy can feel, um, you know, really changing in terms of how you experience your own body. And yet when you, I always say to breast cancer survivors that I've worked with, it's like, you know, those scars, um, and again, reconstruction and what's option, what is available now is, uh, heads and tails above what it's ever been anytime ever before. But that being said, it's like that scar equals, uh, survival. That scar equals a choice that, 
uh, you know what you will not die of. And to really see it as a badge of sort of honor and courage and reframing it from that perspective, I think psychologically can make a huge difference. Um, and then, of course, the part to be considered, uh, and I think it's wise to take these major transitions in steps. So first the uh, double mastectomy and then in time, um, ultimately having uh, the hysterectomy and the ovaries. When you, when you remove your ovaries, that will put a woman into sudden menopause uh, because you're no longer getting the estrogen. And so fortunately, because Tiffany does not have uh, breast cancer, she will be a, an option available to her is hormone replacement therapy. Um, and I think that that is an important thing for her to discuss with her doctor uh, and think about, again, for her specifically, what is the right treatment options. But I think that uh, once when a woman can have hormone replacement therapy, that will sort of dramatically decrease the sudden onset of hot flashes and some of the um, symptoms of menopause. Uh, but again, coming back to the conversation with her husband, the one thing I can say is like, just be really easy with yourself and take the time and build the intimacy and realize things are going to feel different for a while and do not catastrophize. We all have a tendency to catastrophize. Oh my God, if it feels this way now or looks this way now, then, and we go, you know, we sort of run down the football field with those negative and intrusive thoughts. And I can only tell you, wow, the body has an amazing capacity to heal. And um, the most important thing, the biggest sex organ after all is our mind. So if you can sort of keep in connection with your husband, keep that sense of discussing the range of feelings, because I imagine you're going to have them all from sort of relief and ease to, I don't have to worry about uh, the probability of dying young from these cancers to also, you know, some, some of the loss that you're going to be grieving and going through. But the ability to fully experience all of those emotions and metabolize them essentially and let them, you know, feel them and let them go um, and experience them with your partner really does build intimacy. And I think, again, from a sexual perspective, that is what really builds the opportunity for uh, building pleasure. And it's the communication of what feels good and how you want to be touched. So the one thing I would say is just take it slow, give yourself all the time you need. And please, please, please don't catastrophize because the body has an amazing capacity to heal. Um, and I think uh, going through this experience together can be an incredible bond to build intimacy uh, for Tiffany and her husband and for any woman listening to this call uh, or this podcast. So again, it's just hold that space to know that you're making a life-saving decision. It's a complicated decision. It's a personal decision. Certainly make it uh, consulting medical experts. And ultimately, once you've made the one that feels right for you, embrace it fully, know that it's a process of change. Change takes time and it's a process, but that ultimately uh, the body does know how to heal. And so focusing on the possibility and the role of feeling pleasure in your body and uh, that level of uh, connection and intimacy with your partner is something that even going through these difficult um, decisions is completely possible. So again, I just uh, honor Tiffany's courage and would love to hear back, you know, in her recovery and how all this goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. As always, it's such good advice. And I love that she, you know, answered Tiffany's, some of the things that we had talked about and mm -hmm. some of the curiosities we had. And also, 
uh, address the kind of broader issue of whenever we're going through a difficult time or we are faced with a decision or when we feel, I love that word, catastrophize. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard it before, but (laughs) I totally am guilty of that, you know, where we get into this just crazy space in our heads of, oh, my God doomsday and that we think that doomsday means doom forever and Mm -hmm. it and it very often doesn't so i was struck by that what did you think of dr megan's insight i thought it was really very touching and i thought that it was very smart and uh some of the things that i wrote specifically um was you know reframing the mind uh you know that Definitely, I think that I fall into the catastrophizing aspect, uh, especially because when I do get the reconstruction, it's not something that happens right away. Um, You know, they basically hold a place behind your muscle and then it takes like three to six months to actually have breasts. So there has been this part of me that's like, oh, my God, how am I going to have my husband take care of me? How am I going to let him see me that way? But I really love what, you know, what she was saying Um you know, is that the body heals itself, that it um, it really, you know, has the ability to make you stronger and um, to build the intimacy and to take this time to be able to say, hey, you know, how can we be closer instead of how can I push you farther away um, because I don't want to deal with this? How can I find a way to um, take somebody who loves me so much and bring them closer to me. Mm. So, you know, that is a gigantic lesson for me in general. Uh, so I, I, I really appreciate what she said. And it's it, it makes me feel like now when I go home, be like, okay, cool. I love you, husband. Like, you know, let's get closer. Yeah. <laughs> and let's talk about this in, yeah. you know, in a way that's real, but lighthearted and how we can really deal with it. Yeah, um, you know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and yeah. the the whole piece about communication. Yes, I've noticed that so often. I hear from women and and some men too who have concerns and about their relationship, but they keep it to themselves because they don't want to bother a partner mm-hmm. or they don't want to hurt their feelings yeah. or they just they feel shame around it, which is so natural. Yeah. We all go through that, uh, but I think it's really important to be able to bring them up in whatever way we're comfortable because when we do inevitably it's never as bad again catastrophizing it's never as bad as what we think it is usually yeah Yeah. that's that's and i'm so glad you said that it really it does something to remind myself all the time it's never as bad as what happens in my head my (laughs) head is really responsible for much worse (laughs) so true we were just talking about liking thrillers and horror movies and stuff it's like when you have that imagination and you can go to those dark spaces and then you mix that with your own life yeah (laughs) it can get a little intense whoa yeah (laughs) yeah yeah which is where the music comes in and the the loving partners and it's so wonderful you have a great support system around you and all that she talked about going easy on yourself is that something that you have prioritized? Is that something in general that you work on, struggle with? You know, it's it's like kind of an ironic thing, right? Go easy on yourself, but it's not so easy to go easy on yourself. So, you know, um, I have found that that has been challenging, but I definitely have taken the time to be a little bit nicer and, um, again, get a little bit out of my head yeah. to see what's really happening. Uh, versus what I am projecting. So I do feel that I am being nicer to myself. And I do feel that through the music and through friendship and family, um, you know, through this, through this talk show, I mean, through you, through, it's just, it helps. It, it feels good. 
it's it shows me what's real. Mm, I love that. Ooh, sorry. I love that. That <laughs> yeah. is awesome. Uh, so tell us where we can learn more about you and your wonderful show that's coming up. Oh, thank you. Um, so you can find me on Facebook under Tiffany Bailey, and um, I have um, YouTube videos and um, that are also under Cabarabia. And uh, I'm going to be at the E-Spot, which is upstairs of Vitello's, which is in Studio City, and on May 31st at 8 p.m. And I'm really looking forward to it. This is probably the first day I'm like, yes, I'm really looking forward to it. Because I had really been in my head um, a lot. So I'm excited. It's going to be really fun. That is awesome. So, (laughs) so fantastic. And I hope everybody likes your Facebook page too. I'll make sure to include a link in the the show notes. And before I let you go, what is one thing that you hope people listening can take away, learn from your story? Well, I really want to make a point to say that, you know, the BRCA 1 and 2 are um, pretty rare in general um, for, you know, the general population, that it tends to be a much um, a less rare thing in Ashkenazi Jewish people. So I am Ashkenazi Jewish, and um, so there's a much higher prevalence. And I would say that, you know, it is so much better to get checked and tested and really understand your family history uh, because I spent a lot of time thinking that it wasn't going to happen to me or I didn't need to worry about it. And kind of how you had said before that sometimes the outcome is is far worse than what you had thought. You know, I found out about it. I freaked out about it. And now look where I'm at. I feel better. I feel like I'm making choices. I'm in control of what's happening. And I feel better about it. So that's one aspect of it. And the other is, is that, you know, um, I had been looking for support groups for BRCA, and there are some, but I'm working with uh, some people um, at WeSpark and some other places to try to provide some more support um, for people because it can't be online. I mean, you know, you can't just go to blogs and stuff like that. You need to talk to people and, and be a part of it. But, you know, totally can get through it, and I am now feeling identified as um, a woman who is fun and kind and loving versus a woman with big boobs. And, you know, that's a huge thing to take away. I love it. It's very empowering. And I'm going to be cheering for you you. the whole time. I hope you'll keep everybody posted. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. This was super fun. And thank you all out there for listening. If you are looking to add more fun, spice, and connection to your sex life, head over to thepleasurechest.com. They not only sell amazing products, but they have been championing sex positivity for decades with a focus on education, enjoyment, and inclusivity. They were some of the first to really be inclusive. They're so badass. Find them at thepleasurechest.com. You can also take a free workshop at one of their stores in New York. Chicago or right here in LA and on that day you can then get 15% off your whole purchase which is totally awesome if you are digging Girl Boner Radio I hope you will subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and while you're there leave us a simple review to get juicy extras and a whole lot more sign up for my email updates on my website which is augustmclaughlin.com thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week